Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This podcast is sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years. He's my kid's dentist. He's my wife Amy's dentist. He's a local expert on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. Earlier this year, at the start of 2021, my son Owen finished up a stint on Invisalign aligners and is thrilled with the result, and so am I. We're lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and experience here in the Panhandle. To learn more, visit shemendental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Today's guest is Susan Sherali. Susan and her family came to Amarillo in the year 2000 as refugees from Afghanistan. Her father worked for the government at a time when the Taliban began taking over the country. And Susan's father was worried about his daughters under that regime. And so he sent the family away. They ended up here in Amarillo. Susan was only six at the time. Today, she's a third-year medical student in her 20s. She still calls Amarillo home. We talk about her childhood as a refugee, about practicing her Muslim faith in a predominantly Christian area, and about the struggle to hold on to a cultural identity while also working to fit in in a new place. This was such a fun conversation. Here's Susan Shirali. Susan Shirali. Is that, is that a good? Is that That's close? Good. That's really Shirali. Good. Welcome to the Hamrella Podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm honored to have you on the show. Uh, I, I know we've been trying to do this for quite a while, so it's good to finally sit down and, and have this conversation because I know you've been super busy with medical school and all those things. But I want to start with you the same way that I do with all my guests and ask how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. And unlike most guests, I think you might have a, a little bit different story. So let's start there. All right. Thank you for having me, first off. And um, my story is actually not unique. It's just there's so many people like me who has the same story. But I feel like in Amarillo, it might be a little bit more unique. I'm originally from Afghanistan Mm -hmm. and my family and I, we were refugeed here in Amarillo back in 2000. Okay. So we've been here since 2000 and we've established here. We love it here and my parents can't think of anywhere else to move or go. So we're going to be in Amarillo for, for a long time. How old were you when you came to Amarillo? I was about six years old okay. when I came here. Uh, just thinking in terms of the timeline and Afghanistan and some of the reasons that people might have needed to be refugeed out of there, um, it seems a little bit before you know, 9-11 here in the United States, before the Iraq war, before the Afghanistan war, all those things. So what, what were the circumstances behind you leaving and coming this way? Yeah, so I'm a little rusty on the history aspect of it. But from what I was told and everything, it was because the Taliban regime, uh, Taliban took over Afghanistan and uh, it was not safe for my family to be there any longer uh, because I'm one of nine kids. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. One of nine and one of seven uh, girls in one family. So those combined just does not make a good Afghanistan, a good environment Mm -hmm. to be in, especially as 
uh, females. So we had to leave, and uh, it was because of the war that we came here. Do you know much, you know, in talking to your parents or um, just kind of hearing that history, do you know much about how life changed for them? Like how they got to a place where they knew, okay, if we want to protect our daughters, if we want to give our daughters opportunities, we have to get out of here. I mean, did you know much about oh, that? Oh, yeah, they they talk about it. Growing up, they've talked about it uh, plenty with us. Um, it was just not safe. Having that many uh, girls in a family was not safe in Afghanistan. And was that unique? I mean, the size of your family? Size of the family wasn't unique because everybody okay. has. It was just the amount of girls in a family. And... Uh, it wasn't safe because my dad was also uh, involved in not like the fighting military aspect. He was more of like he had an office uh, role. Okay. And with that role of his, he with the government, it made him an easy target um, for like the Taliban. And he was part of, I guess, the more institutional I, side of things. And then when they came yeah. in and were taking over, those were the people so, that were trying to displace. Exactly. So when the Taliban took over, anybody that worked for the government were targeted. Anybody like doctors, anybody in power, anybody that was for the government were targeted. And our case wasn't unique in that aspect either, but it was just that much more unsafe for us because of how many girls my uh, father had in one household. Mm -hmm. And so we had to, we had to get out. For listeners who don't know much about the Taliban, and maybe they've heard of them and, you know, these scary terms that the, the media will talk about it, uh, but don't specifically know like why it was unsafe for a family with a lot of girls. Why, they're, why was that? They're just, they're the definition of terrorists. They are barbaric. They have, what you see in media today, the way they want to present themselves as saying, oh, we've changed over the years. Like we know what we won't do the same mistake. No, they're they're still the same barbaric, zero education, just wild individuals. They're terrorists and they come in with the mindset of like, oh, we're going to make Afghanistan a more Islamic republic or I don't even know if that's the term they use. They were just trying to make it more Islamic. A theocracy, but, though. But yeah, where but the... Af Afghanistan is already as, as like Islamic. You're just making it extremist. Hmm. So there's a difference. They're not trying to make it more Islam-focused. They're trying to make it more, you know, extreme. Islam is very peaceful. Islam is very tolerant. Is Islam has the highest respect for women. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. And they see these countries being run by these barbaric individuals, and they think that's Islam. Yeah. But that's not, they're not doing a good representation. It's of, defining the entire faith by some of the worst practitioners. Some of the of worst the faith. practitioners. And even themselves, some of the interviews, if you ever have time, just Google and look, they themselves don't even know the five pillars of Islam. Hmm. And they're out there trying to convert or make a whole country more uh, Muslim focused. They've already, so the same things that are happening today since, um, I don't know if people have been keeping up with the news lately, but everything kind of went down, I want to say early August of right. this year. Yeah, with the American withdrawal uh, from the Af American Afghanistan. The American withdrawal, yeah. 
it really took a toll and they came in and the people in Doha or I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but the head of the uh, Taliban and Doha, they gave all these promises like, oh, this time they're not going to be doing these right. things. No, there's such a disconnect. What they say there is not what's happening at, like on the grounds. They've banned, they say they're not banning girls from going to school. But if you see some of the interviews, they laugh and they're like, oh, girls school? Haha, <laughs> no. And girls in government? No. Uh, one interview, he even thought he was being more liberal. He goes, no, we're... Uh, girls can go to work. Girls can go uh, work for the government, just not higher positions. Hmm. They can't. They can't go get higher positions. And, you know, the freedom is taken away. And it's, it's just really sad. It's like maybe the only thing that has changed is they're a little bit more cognizant of PR and yes. how they appear on the media. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. And how they can say certain things and think that the world will believe, oh, okay, well, they've changed. They've not changed. They're the same people. Uh, rights are taken away. Music, like music is essential in mm-hmm. today's world and just in, just in general, you know, for mental health and everything, M- uh, music, uh, movies and everything. So it's just, it, it's come to a point where initially when all this was happening, I was being like a big advocate. I'm like, we need focus on this. We need to do something, you know, like world power needs to do something. United States, Canada, like UN. But after seeing how things went down and where it is right now, mm-hmm. I've came to a point where I'm just like, I don't even want to look at the news anymore because yeah. it's depressing. Do you still feel things being done? Do you still feel a connection to Afghanistan? I mean, I'm, it, Having lived here for so much of your life now, absolutely. My fam, like my whole extended family, is still in still Afghanistan. There. My aunts, my uncles, uh, they're all in Afghanistan. Cousins. Um, have yeah. you been back to visit them? I have, n- since being in America, I've only been back one time, and that okay. was, I think, in two thousand. I want to say two thousand eleven is when I went. But um, even then, it was it was nice. I mean. I really liked it. I wish I could have been there longer, but school, I had to come yeah. back. Um, but yeah, of course, I feel the connection. Growing up here, my mom did a really, really good job of letting us grow in the American lifestyle, but holding on to our roots. Right. And um, she enforced us when we came home, no English. Hmm. Only uh, Farsi, okay. because she did not want us to lose our language. She did not want us to lose the connections we had to our to Afghanistan and the like our roots. So, despite growing up here, I'm very much Afghan inside. I try hard, but sometimes I still feel like I I don't connect with the American pop culture as much mm-hmm. and everything just because my mom sheltered us. I'm to her defense, I I. I can understand because nine kids, her here, it's, it's a lot in a new country, um, not knowing how the kids are going to grow up to be. So she was a little bit more, uh, strict on us. Well, and I don't think it has to be defended. I mean, because obviously when I'm thinking of myself as a parent and if, if I had left my home country, taken my kids there, yes, I would have wanted them to 
fit in and thrive in a new place. But yeah, you don't want to lose everything that was part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And so much of a culture, whether it's the language or the food or the experiences, I mean, that's, that's your identity. And so how do you maintain that and then keep your, you know, keep your children from being outcast, you know, at, at school or being so different from everyone else? Yeah, I think I don't know how it happened, but I feel like I got a good balance. <laughs> what did your dad do uh, in Afghanistan? Like, what was his career? I so he, from what I understand, he was uh, he had like a government job, and he was a doctor in a, in Afghanistan, but okay. he's not practicing a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. And then, what did he do once he came here? Nothing. Could, retired. Okay. He. My dad is eighty. Four years old. Wow, okay. And when he was there, when everything went south in Afghanistan or during that time, and I want to say, like, I guess the 90s, late 90s, um, he was a nobody. Hmm. Almost all the professions in Afghanistan, they were a nobody. Yeah, the professions, the professional class even, if if they all leave. What... What do you remember about those early years, you know, coming to the United States as a six-year-old? Uh, did you come directly to Amarillo or did you stop in some place like Dallas or? So from what I remember, we came, we settled right here in Amarillo. Okay. We came directly, like, yes, yeah, stops along the way, but like not extended stops. Right. We flew to Amarillo. Our destination was Amarillo. Um, Catholic Family Services were the people, I guess, who... Um, sponsored us here and I remember I remember coming and we the house that we got was on Ong Street okay I don't exactly know it's like around the Washington and Ong is a very long street it (laughs) goes through a lot of different neighborhoods um I remember our house is like a cute little pink house from the outside and I could not believe this was our house. I remember looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, is this, this is our house. And Mm. then going inside and um, seeing it already like stocked with food and everything for us. Cause I guess they had already set all those things up for us. Um, From what I remember, I was like super happy that this was our place. And all of you fit in that house? Was it crowded? We all fit in that house. Um, So it was, uh, Nine of us and my mom at that time. So all 10 okay. of us fit in that house. How big was it? It was not big. Yeah. It was not a big house. The, the master bedroom literally had the twin beds just straight across. Like okay. the whole master bedroom was a huge... It's just all beds. All beds so that all the kids could fit in there. But to us, that was everything. Yeah. Like it was safety, shelter. We had a roof over our head. We had the essentials. I know it's hard as a six-year-old, but was there, was there a culture shock? I mean, do you remember beyond the house being different, different neighborhood? I mean, do you remember other things that were like, this is, this so is new? We did not speak a word of English coming here. Nobody in my family knew any English. I started in the first grade and I remember, um, Mrs. Malik was my uh, teacher. Where'd you go to the, school? Lamar. Okay. I went to Lamar elementary school. Miss Malik was one of the best teachers I've ever had so she she was the my first grade teacher and then um I remember going in and I was told back home that oh in America they will punish you if you don't 
study well or if you're not smart they will punish you for it so I was so intimidated to go Mm -hmm. to school and I was so scared I remember stuffing all the books in my backpack day one of school and Miss Malik trying to tell me to put the books back down and I didn't know what she was saying so she had to come and take the books back out of uh, from my backpack and uh, stand me in line and it was initially it was hard but I guess as a kid you just you just pick it up a lot mm-hmm. faster than you would as an adult. It's just like, I I don't even remember anymore. It's just, just happened. Do you remember? Yeah, you, th- there was never a moment where all of a sudden you understood we what had was e- happening in the classes? We had ESL or? classes. Okay. We had ESL classes. Um, so during the day, there was a part of the day that we would go into that class specifically for us, and they would teach us the basics. Okay. And they worked with us, Miss Gattery, was our ESL uh, teacher. Where do you fall within the... Nine? The, yeah, the chronology of your siblings. I am number eight okay. out of nine. There's one more younger than me. Okay, so you're almost the youngest. I'm almost the um, youngest. Were the others at various levels of, mm. of school at the time? Yeah, so everybody was at various le- uh, levels from like high school to me, elementary school. And uh, my older uh, siblings, they were... Um, they started working at Tyson, but okay. back then it was called IBP. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they started out. And if, if your dad was retired, I guess maybe your older siblings kind of helped provide so some my income. Dad, my or? dad was not here with us. Oh, so he was not here at all. He, he just was, sent you. Yeah. Got so it. he sent us. Um, he was not with us. It took, my dad came, I want to say in 2006. Wow. So it was a long time before we were connected with my dad. How hard was that? It was, for the family. A, it was hard. It was really hard. I, As a kid, it was hard for me. I remember it was hard for uh, my little sister just because we would see all the kids uh, with their parents and everything, mm-hmm. and my dad wasn't with us. And when 9-11 happened, um, that wasn't fun either because, you know, kids are kids. Um, sometimes they can be bullies. And they'd be like, oh, your dad's not here because he's the guy, you yeah. know, and that would upset me so much. And I would cry at home and my mom would be like, no, it's fine and everything. And I just remember missing my dad so much. And there's days I would just as a kid just throw a fit just for no reason because I was I was angry that my dad wasn't here. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I'm curious about matters of faith when you when you move, uh, especially to moving from Afghanistan to the middle of the Texas panhandle, where so many people um, just treat Christianity as the default, you know, and, and you're coming not just from uh, an Islamic background, but also an Islamic background that was clashing with other Muslims, you know, in a place where that was just such a big part of the story. If, if your family was able to maintain that aspect of your lives here. Yeah. So... I'm Shia. My family's Shia. So that's the minority in Islam. So there's Sunni and Shia. We're the minority. And honestly, I just have to say my mom was a very brave woman. She let us go to church. We had Wednesday church. I remember the bus coming and picking us up. Like Christian church? Christian church. First Baptist church. Wow. Yeah. My mom would just let us because they did... um, they did ESL classes mm-hmm. then too, and they had classes for the kids and the grownups. So my older siblings, we would all go to church. They would go to their ESL classes. 
we would go to the little Bible study (laughs) classes. And I loved it because they provided, you know, uh, drawing and we did fun, artsy craft stuff. And then we had little Bible story times and everything. And I feel really bad now looking back. I, I I bet I was really annoying to the teachers that taught there. They would be like, Jesus is God's son. And I'd be like, no. This is me at a church to the teacher. No, Jesus is not God's son. And they would be like, no, Susan, you know, and they would try to like talk me into, you know, I mean, it's. Well, it's, because the. The goal of those programs, one, is to provide a valuable service in ESL exactly. classes, but also there's an evangelistic component exactly. where they are trying yes. to convert you. Absolutely. But yeah, um, we had that and we made some great friends from the church as well. Uh, I forget their names over the year, but they had a huge impact in our lives. They were so kind to us. They showed us the way around, mm-hmm. taught us English. They were patient with us, and um, yeah, we we were really thankful for, for all of them. What is what is the Muslim community in Amarillo like? Is is there are there a good group of people who are still living out that faith even in a place like this and, yeah, and making so we, that work? Uh, we do have. I wouldn't say it's a big community, but we have we have a small uh, Muslim community. I know there's here. a mosque. I know there's mm-hmm. a community center, mm-hmm. um, but you know, have not been to either one of those in, in quite a while. Uh, so didn't know what that experience was like, you know, trying to not only growing up as a child and with all those influences, but um, like, has that remained an important part of your life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, as much as we did everything uh, during the week or weekend with the church and everything, my mom was also very on top of it with our faith as well uh, during Ramadan or other uh, important dates in Islam, we would go to the masjid, the mosque, mm-hmm. uh, with everybody else. And even at home, she did a lot of ev- events just within our family at home to continue and keep us within the faith. Does that Sunni and Shia divide continue, you know, when there's such a small Muslim community? I Or does that kind of stop at the borders, you know, of a new place when you're trying to find your way? I would say it's not more of like a tension division. It's more, um, I don't even know how to explain. Here in America, obviously, the more educated you get, the more accepting you are of the differences within a religion and between other religions. You just, you understand, you know, like you're more tolerant well, like your mom sending you to Bible classes. <laughs> right. But I don't think there's a major uh, division. I feel like because the events that are important in Islam, it's important to both. Mm-hmm. So when we get together, everybody gets together. For being a Shia, there are events that we hold that uh, Sunni uh, individuals don't hold. And we've there's not a lot of Shia people here either. And the few that are, we know of. And when we hold events, we get together and uh, hold those events at our house, like the prayers or things like that in each other's house. And now the community, the Shia community has even gotten smaller because people are moving out of Amarillo. So this past year, we just 
held those events at our own home okay. with my immediate family. Is that community pretty multinational at this point? I mean, with so many different refugee groups coming from so many different parts of the world, um, it seems like there, there might be a real diversity in the way that that's practiced and even. Within the Muslim community, mm-hmm. I think, yes, there is, there is that diversity. You have uh, Arab Muslims, you have Afghani Muslims, you've, you even have Pakistani Indian Muslims, and you have uh, African Muslims. Yeah. So you get a big uh, European Muslims, uh, Bosnians, and um, there's a big diversity within the Muslim community, but in the Shia community, I would say it's more Arab. Okay. Where did you go to high school? Randall. Randall. I've been a Raider. Okay. And what was that experience like? I mean, did, did you feel by that point like you'd fully assimilated? You, you know, you knew the language, all that yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, of course. I feel like even within um, third and fourth grade in Lamar, I, I learned English. Okay well enough to communicate and make friends. So by the time I was in high school, that was not a problem at all. I was, I had friends, I had good friends. Uh, I enjoyed high school. It was a good experience for me. I was involved in um, track. I did track for a little bit. I did uh, soccer for a little bit. And then junior uh, and senior year, I was like, nope, mm-hmm. I'm just relaxing. Did you know Back then that you wanted to get into medicine? Was that always kind of the plan? That, yeah, as cliche as it is, that's always been the plan. It was the plan to become a doctor one day. And I wish I had more guidance back then so that the route to becoming a doctor would have not been as long as mine uh, was. But I, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Is that the influence of your parents, do you think, is a lot behind it? Your Your dad or... Yeah, so I feel like my parents are big influences in my decision and wanting to be a doctor. It's not like they, my mom pushed me or anything. It's just seeing the kindness, seeing the giving that are within my parents made me want to do the same. And just in general, as a physician, you, I feel like being a physician, you have skills that are so vital for a community to thrive in and mm-hmm any community that you go into, you're needed and you're able to help. And it's a lifelong service that you're giving to people. So I've always wanted to do medicine. So I I know that you are in medical school right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Where are you along the process? I'm a third year right now. Okay. I'm a third year. um, So Texas Tech's program, you do two years in Lubbock. And then your third and fourth year, you can do either here in Amarillo or the Lubbock uh, campus. And then there's one other campus that uh, we have. And I chose Amarillo because I wanted to be home, save money that way. And just Amarillo is home to me. So I just wanted to be back. I've been gone for so long. What Uh, kind of medicine are you studying? Like, what's the plan? I am still undecided. Okay. I'm still undecided. I don't know yet. Uh, 30 years for me to find out. Yeah, that's where you figure out what you like. You get exposed to everything. Exactly. That's when hopefully I figure it out before I apply to residency. But uh, yeah, so right now I'm in the process of trying to figure out what I like most. Are any of your siblings in medicine as well? And are they following some of that? Healthcare, yes. Um, My little sister, she's in optometry school. And so is my sister right before me, Nellie. Uh, 
she goes by Nelly, but Nila Far. She's in optometry school in Shabnam. She's in optometry school as okay. well. I feel like I should ask if uh, Susan is your Afghan name or if that's so an that, American name that you chose. I get that a lot. Uh, is that your real name? Um, yes, Susan is my real name. Um, it's Susan, but mm -hmm. it's the same name in English. Susan okay. and Susan mean the same. It's, it, it's the same. It's just pronounced different. It's pretty common like as a, as a girl's name in Afghanistan? It's, it's a common okay. girl's name. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a common girl's name All right. in Afghanistan. I'm really interested just in your experience of Amarillo to kind of close up this section, knowing that, I mean, you, you speak very fondly about the area. Your family's here. You wanted to come back. Uh, you said that this is home. But at the same time, you know, you are someone whose background is so very different from the rest of the community here, whose religious faith is very different from the community, who comes from a country that the United States was actively at war with, you know, for two decades, if if that ever factored into you know your mindset being here, if you felt like you belonged here, if if that was something that um, that was difficult to navigate, you know, whether as a high schooler, as a young adult, I mean, it, what was that like? To be honest, Amarillo, the people here in Amarillo have been nothing but kind okay. to us. Never did I feel like I was an outsider. Never did they make me make me or my family feel like we're different. It, Amarillo has been very accepting to us and other refugees uh, here. So I personally have not had any um, issues not feeling like I belong here. Mm -hmm. um, coming to Amarillo, we made friends with some good, good people that are our friends till this day, mm -hmm. like Mr. Tommy, Mr. Scott. They've always helped us feel like we belong here and our teachers just the community here um i don't know maybe if i was somewhere else in the united States, if i would have had a different answer to this question but amarillo has been pretty kind i feel like i fit right in because i i feel like that maybe challenges preconceptions that people might have whether it's about texas whether it's about overtly Christian areas, whether mm. it's about the South in general. I mean, all of those things. Um, and I, I always like to challenge those things because I don't think that's mm. always true, especially in a place like Amarillo. And so I'm glad to hear that, that that was the case for you. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, I never got questioned. Like, of course that people question like, Oh, why are, why do Muslims do this? Or just out of curiosity, but never out of like disrespect mm. or to belittle or anything like that. It was out of curiosity and I've been able to answer and have like a good uh, adult conversations and the differences that we have, but nothing that rubbed me the wrong way. And I walked off and saying, wow, that person was racist. Yeah. Are, are the rest of your siblings still in this area? Mm -hmm. Have they all stayed? Uh, or? Everybody's here except one brother. He uh, is in the Dallas area. He's an aviation uh, mechanic for uh, spirit. And do you, do you have any idea just about your your parents, um, you know that decision obviously to leave Afghanistan must have been just huge, a huge weight, you know, yeah, to bear. Absolutely. Looking back, how do they feel like about the choice that they made and and raising their so many daughters, you know, here in this environment? Yeah, honestly, I've never really asked them that. Um, I know they're happy. Um, the outcome could have not been better. Like 
we're here, we're safe, we've all chosen a good career path for ourselves, and I cannot thank my parents enough for the sacrifices that they've made, and I cannot thank my older siblings enough for the sacrifices that they've made for us young ones. Um, they worked hard. They, My parents went through the separation, especially my dad not knowing yeah. if we're alive or if we're not. His whole family letting having to let go of his whole family for their safety. And that's a huge, huge sacrifice that my parents made for us. And I will forever be thankful for that. Uh, my sisters, my older si sisters, they were, when they came here, they were in their late teens, you know, like they had dreams. They wanted, right. you know, if they could, they would want to do something in the medical field or whatever that they like, but they didn't get that opportunity because they had our mouths to feed Yeah, and they had us to raise. And so we are living the dream you can say because of their hard work and their sacrifices that they, they made because they could have easily just been like, you know, I'm here too. I'm going to go do my thing and make my future but they didn't, they, my whole, fa my older siblings, they've decided to stay together, be united and raise all of us. And so I get to experience medical school because of them. My other sisters get to experience, you know, optometry school and live, literally live our dreams because of their sacrifices. Hey, Amarillo is also supported this week by Brick and Elm Magazine, the new hyper-local print magazine I helped launch back in May with Michelle McCaffrey. Our November-December issue just came out, and I'm just incredibly excited about it. If you are a dedicated listener to this podcast, if you like what I'm doing here, you're also going to like Brick and Elm. I, I really want you to subscribe. It's only $34.99 a year for our print issues, and they'll be delivered directly to your house. This isn't any tiny little 30-page magazine either. These are magazines that are well over 100 pages, so much content in them. You can find single issues available if you don't subscribe. Uh, go buy them from our retail partners. Uh, these include Burrowing Owl, Market 33, and Eeks on 6th Street, Purpose and Passion Boutique, United Market Street, and Select United Supermarkets locations, from 6th Collective, Select Toot and Totems and Packasack locations, and Barnes and & Noble. So many places you can get this. Learn more at brickandelm.com, and I encourage you to subscribe today. Okay, I'm back with Susan Shirali. That's as good as I'm going to get with it, I'm sure. Um, this is a part of the show, Susan, I call 8 Straight. Uh, 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its Pioneer Town collection includes the custom-crafted teller cages from the Panhandle Bank of Panhandle, Texas, which date back from 1908. Uh, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, the first question, and I've been asking most of my guests this question over the past year at least, and uh, you being in the healthcare field, uh, I'm interested in, in your perspective. So what's one thing the pandemic and, and the last 18 months or so have revealed to you about local people? Oh, gosh. Um, we're so, in that aspect, we're so divided. Yeah. We're so divided. It's like you've... You either think COVID exists or you think COVID doesn't exist, but reality, 
doesn't matter what you think COVID exists, mm -hmm. you know? There's no belief to it. There's no the belief to it. There's just, it's, it's there and people are, you know, suffering and it's just so hard. Like I've, yeah, that's the biggest thing I've learned in the past 18 months is like, and it's so hard to communicate mm -hmm. and to tell, like educate. But I would say I didn't think we were that divided, Yeah, but we are. I didn't think we were that divided either. <laughs> what, what has that been like in medical school? I mean, as, as you're still in a position of learning and mm. being educated and hearing from, you know, doctors and, and your instructors and stuff, like what are some of the things that you've been talking about and that they've been telling you? Um, our medical school, I would say we're on a curriculum. Mm -hmm. So we learn what's we're supposed to learn. I feel like with COVID, it's a lot of self-learning as well okay. that we had, we've done and just reading articles, reading the different studies that have been done. And when the vaccine came out, just educating, it doesn't matter. I don't think there's a difference in being a medical student, just in general, as a, as a citizen, I feel like we should be doing that. We should mm -hmm. be educating ourselves, not from TikTok, not from <laughs> Facebook, and not from like social media, like yeah. actually pull up articles, read the articles and see what the science has to say. There is no con conspiracy behind this, you know, like just read, see the articles that go into not being biased. Like if you go and try to find articles that prove your point, you're going to find articles that prove your point, but go into it and like educate yourself from don't have a stance, go in and like learn what the newest articles that are out there about the vaccine, about the changes in COVID. And, you know, I just feel like that one little step can make such a big difference yeah. and hopefully close that difference in the gap that we have right now. What a time to be a, a medical student. <laughs> right. Um, what, what does this area have too much of? Honestly, recently I've been noticing we have way too many gas stations. Hmm. In my opinion, this may not be a popular opinion, but I see way too many gas stations. So I drive Coulter all the time. Mm -hmm. There's the CVS, there's a uh, Tutan Totem, and then another uh, gas station, and then not even two miles down, there's another gas station. There's so many gas stations. Do we really need, this is my question to you, do we really need that many gas stations here We're in the We're very much town? a driving culture, <laughs> but... I've noticed, I, yeah, they're, they're super close. They're like street, like on the other side of the street from each other. There's, there's got to be enough demand for it to justify that business. But yeah, that is, that's a very good point. I've never really thought about that. Well, next time you drive, just, just yeah. pay, look. Count the gas stations. How many opportunities how many, do you have? Yeah. Um, what does this area not have enough of? I feel like, okay, we have good restaurants here, but I feel like we don't have diversity in the okay. food choices. I would love to have, you know, a Lebanese restaurant, some Mediterranean restaurant, some kebabs, uh, African restaurant, mm -hmm. but we don't have that. Um, even, yeah, even just a general Middle Eastern sort of flavored restaurant. We really don't have much don't like have. that. Um, and you'll find that in all kinds of communities. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's listening and they have some good ideas, you know, open a restaurant. Okay. I am totally down for that. 
How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Home. Okay. Um, safe haven. It's I'm biased. And this is what I tell them. I start off with saying I'm biased because I grew up here, but I love Amarillo. It's a place where you can um, establish yourself and it's not expensive compared mm -hmm. to other cities in America. You can go a long way with a little amount. So you can start off here much easier than other um, locations, I think. I, I think you're right. I agree. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Holter. Okay. Why is that? Because that's the street I, I take every day and it has everything I need. My home's on that street. Uh, Starbucks, I go study there all the time. That's on that street. Uh, my work. Uh, there's a lot of fast food. This is really bad, but fast food choices <laughs> for me on the go that I can just drive straight through, grab my coffee, mm -hmm. drive straight again, grab my like, you know, Chick-fil-A or something and then go to work. Yeah. It takes you right to the hospital. Yep. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? Given the lack of, of good Mediterranean or Middle Eastern food here, what's your favorite oh, local restaurant? Gosh. You know, I do like Indian oven. Okay. I like Indian oven. It's people should try that place out. They have good food. Is is that close enough to Afghanistan that there are some familiar flavors, mm, or is it same different? spices? Afghani food we don't use as much spice. Okay, um, but I would say our um, dishes are somewhat similar. Not too much though. I don't know that I've ever had like true Afghani food. Um, oh. But I have I, had Indian oven. We should so. open a restaurant. <laughs> Maybe so. You've got so many people in your family, they could all... I, well, actually, we did have a restaurant um, back in the day, the Kebab Restaurant. Oh, really? Yes. That was your family? That was my family. I didn't know that. Did you ever go? No. Yeah, that was my family's, um, but it was just so hard to keep up. And I feel like the amount of people we have today here in Amarillo compared to back then, mm -hmm. uh, it was not a lot. So, And it just it was too much work for one family with like my other business. So okay. we closed it, mm, but it was good food. I, I think with travel and the more people get outside of Amarillo, go places like New York where there's a kebab, you know, cart mm -hmm. on every corner. Um, oh yeah. You get more exposure to that kind of stuff. And then you come back here and you're like, oh, I've had that before. Um, we're just, we're not quite there yet. Hopefully. Hopefully soon. Hopefully. As long as your family stays here, maybe there's a chance. <laughs> oh, you, don't worry. My family's going to be here for a very long time. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Starbucks. Uh, local. Okay. Starbucks is considered local, but it's a chain. Uh, sure. I did like Urbana. Mm -hmm. Urbana was on Coulter, mm -hmm. and I used to go there all the time, but they closed. They closed, and now there's a Starbucks right across the street. Right it's always busy. It's all, is, exactly. It's yeah. But I would have, I would say Urbana, even though it's closed. Now. Okay. And the last question is, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? I... If ever. And I have. It's just been such a long time. Probably high school days. It's like back in 2012, maybe. I don't even remember. Do you know why... Like, did you go just to have a meal or was there some event there? No, or? just to have a meal. Okay. But it's just so far out mm -hmm. that it's kind of like out of sight. So it kind of gets out of mind. Okay. But it's, of, it's good food. Out of mind unless you're traveling any yep. of the highways outside Amarillo. Exactly. You, but it's good. Yeah. Okay. They have good steak. 
Okay, uh, Susan, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? In Amarillo? Okay. I'm going to have to say my my own store, Amarillo <laughs> International Food. I feel like um, we have great things, and I feel like a lot of people don't know about the international uh, foods. It's on... Wolfland Circle. I'm really bad. This is a new location that we went to okay. because of the fire that happened in the Georgia um, area. I want to say Civic Circle. I think it's Civic called. Circle. That's yes, right. Civic Circle. That's where we're located at. Um, we have spices. We have uh, different types of rice, basmati, whatever mm-hmm. you need. We have that. Uh, a lot of international. So if you need anything from um, India, Pakistan, any Arabic, uh, ingredients or African ingredients, dry fish, things like that. Uh, European, we have all that. And it's owned by my family. family. Mm -hmm. How long, and that's been, it's been around for quite a while. How Mm -hmm. long has it been? 2004, I believe is when we opened it, but I would like people to go try that. Is, Is the clientele... Uh, can you tell if a lot of it is people who come from some of those different countries and are looking for their food? Or is it like people who grew up in Amarillo and they just want something different? It, honestly, the vast majority are refugees who is it? need uh, those ingredients, need those um, basic everyday-to-day uh, groceries that they use. Mm-hmm. So they're the majority of our uh, customer population. But we do get... Like I would say we get a handful of people that come in just because they're curious and a lot of them, they come in, they're like, oh my gosh, we don't, we didn't even know you guys existed yeah. here. And then they become a regular. Has it been challenging in, in recent months to get some of, you know, the, the foods and the spices, you know, with all the supply chain stuff and shipping's all messed up? Like has, has that impacted your, your Recent Recently, um, I'm not sure just because I've just been so yeah, you've been busy with... Uh, studying that I haven't had a chance to uh, talk to my sister about all that. But I do know beginning of the pandemic when everything was shutting down, we did have a very hard time getting uh, importing and getting stuff for our store. Definitely prices went up. And I know my sister hates to raise the prices because just because of like the population that come and shop there, you know, so she tries to keep it at a bare like just enough. And yeah, the prices went up quite a bit. Okay. But it's, it's better now. Well, good. That's good to hear. Um, that's a great endorsement. I appreciate that. Susan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Susan for the interview. At the end, she mentioned her family's international food market. You can learn more about that on Facebook. Just search for that name. Thanks, of course, to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to my sponsors, Shimon Dental, Brick and Elm, and especially Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, so thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And obviously the, the local people who support this show financially through patreon.com slash That can also be you if you want to. Hamarello's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Jess Heredia, Corey Burns, Chris Zelda, Josh Wood, 
Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, and Wilson Lemieux. This has been episode 221. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.